Hey, BroadwayCon, the podcast listeners. Patrick here. You guys, we are now just two days away from the beginning of the greatest Broadway fan convention on the planet. The programming is incredible. So download the BroadwayCon app in Google Play or the App Store for all the details. I'm now moderating six panels, including a live taping of this podcast on Friday at 1.30. I'll be at the Autograph and Photo Booth on Saturday at 3. And on Sunday at 11, I'm doing a live taping of Theater People Podcast's 100th episode. With favorite guests Celia and Andrew Keenan-Bolger, Beth Malone, Kayala Settle, and Daisy Egan. You can find information for all of the great programming and tickets at broadwaycon.com. Okay, now to the show. I know a place where you belong. Come follow me and join the song. Welcome to BroadwayCon! The podcast, the show for the theater kid in all of us. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. I'm so excited to be sharing today's episode with you. Today, I'm having a conversation with my friend Mo Brady, co-host of the Ensemblist podcast, all about the great Broadway news events from 2016. This is something we've been talking about doing for a long time, and it was super fun to finally do it. This episode's a little longer than most, so let's just get to it. Hi, Morgan Brady. Hi, Patrick J. Hines. How are y'all? I'm good. How are you? I love that you're like a main you're like a main feature of the podcast now. At BroadwayCon podcast. BroadwayCon the podcast. This is something we've talked about doing for a long time. Yeah. I think this is a really interesting idea. Well, I have a lot of opinions and you are uh, annoying. So <laughs> I, I have a lot of ways I can tell you that you're wrong, Correct. which is exciting for me. Correct. Yeah. Shall we jump in? Let's dive. So the first thing I want to talk about, of course, is that it, you know, it was the year of Hamilton, right? How does a bastard? So let me just run down the stats real quick. It was uh, a record-breaking 16 Tony nominations. It won 11. Of course, in some of those categories, it was like double nominated in one category, so they couldn't possibly have won them both. Right. Uh, won the Pulitzer Prize. The album won the Grammy Award. There's now a Chicago company. There's about to be a San Francisco company, a national tour. Um, so yeah, let's start there. What do you think, at the end of it all, did Hamilton live up to the hype? Yes. Yes, I think it did. Um, I mean, it's a very good show. It is a very good show. Oh, you missed um, the mixtape. Oh, of course. I would, I would put that as sort of in like bullet points of things that happened around Hamilton this yeah. year. Um, it does live up to the hype. I think that it lives up to the hype in a way that a chorus line did or, or Rent did. Those sort of phenoms, right? Yeah. The things that can be on the front of Newsweek. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes. I think what we're living in now is a very interesting time for uh, theater lovers because we're sort of over the hump of the hype. And it's an interesting place to be where we've sort of already experienced it, but popular culture at large hasn't necessarily experienced it. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder, I wonder if the second year will feel as exciting for like the theater community as last year did around Hamilton. Does it ever? I don't think it will. I don't think it ever will. Because I mean, I think a part of what made Hamilton such a phenomenon, especially to theater, the theater going public in New York was ham for ham every day. Like they were shutting down 46th Street. Lynn was just, you know, at the top of his game. And like these, the second, the second cast actors are all fantastic. Um, but I don't think, I think we've got Dear Evan Hansen now. I think we're, and I don't think that Dear Evan Hansen is going to, of course, reach the heights of Hamilton. No. But I think that we are ready to be like, that's awesome. And at least for, for the theater, for like us, 
the theater going New York public, like that's great. And I, we're kind of ready to focus on other things. Right. But the popular culture is not ready to focus on other. Well, things. and especially now that it's going to be everywhere, it's going to be on the tour. It's going to be all these sit down companies. Right. I mean, it is certainly a smart marketing strategy to keep that, to keep the buzz going. Right. Um, and 2016 was definitely about Hamilton and sort of the wake of Hamilton in the New York theater community. Yeah, I think too. It's it's rare that you see a, mu- a piece of musical theater birth an international celebrity. You know, mm-hmm. like when was the last time somebody who wrote a musical hosted Saturday Night Live? Right. You know. Yeah. Um, Lin's. Lin, I mean, he Entertainment Weekly's Entertainer of the Year. Is that what he? Was? Oh, is that? I don't even know. Um, he's mine. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I'm sure that's what matters more to, to him. I think um, so. So he he really is at the top of his game right now. Um, and. There, it just was something that kept being news. It wasn't even just about all of the awards and accolades that Hamilton received or that uh, Lynn received himself. It was the stuff about Ham for Ham, um, the the education for the education for Ham, the Edu Ham, all the hashtags. Yeah. Right? Um, there was the controversies around casting. Well, so let's talk. I want to talk about that a little bit. So yeah. you know. And the controversy doesn't necessarily mean that it was controversial in a bad way. So, like the the whole casting thing, right? Explain explain to people who don't know what the con- what what the situation was there. So the casting controversy came from a lawyer who said who sort of pointed out that um, the casting calls for Hamilton were specifically asking for uh, non-white men and women to audition, um, and that is. <laughs> and that is while uh, not approved language by the Actors Equity Association for casting calls, that's a very familiar language for anyone that has seen a casting call. Um, it often says uh, uh, the the ethnicities that they are looking for uh-huh. in or or um, seeking African American comma Asian American comma Hispanic American actors for this role. Yeah. Um, so, the the use of the phrase non-white, which is sort of a catch-all for many ethnicities, yeah, um, was uh, deemed inappropriate um, by this lawyer and and also by Actors Equity Association, who is posting these casting calls uh, for its union members. It's it's just a proof positive that Hamilton has a spotlight shined on every part of it. Right. Um, not- do you think they thought it wasn't a big deal? Like, you you don't think that was done intentionally to to make noise? Um, I think that some people outside of the theater community saw an opportunity to make a fuss about something. Uh huh. Um, and I think that uh, they sort of took that and ran with it. And, you know, the, the part that every part of Hamilton has. Um, is, is interesting to the public. Yeah. Right. Uh, in 2016. And so the casting of it is going to be interesting as well. Even though from a theater professional, a th- that's really normal language. Yeah. And I think for s- sort of a working theater professional, that that's not language that surprises me. You know, you could say <laughs> in your casting call, all ethnicities willing, uh, open to audition for Hamilton, but I know, even if you say all ethnicities open for the role of Aaron Burr, 
Right. There, no white man. You're getting man. typed out at the door, Mo Brady. No, no white man is going to be cast as right. Aaron Burr. That's yeah. just not that's not the, what we're that's doing. Not, that's not the view uh the the viewpoint of the show. So Well, but you remember the thing that they were that like the people were holding up against it were the casting notice for Bright Star that said all roles are Caucasian. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, this this was a thing. And I now to, in in full disclosure, I don't know for sure that that wasn't a, something that was photoshopped or made up. I I didn't investigate it too thoroughly, but people on Twitter and Facebook were were holding up a casting notice for um Bright Star that said all roles are Caucasian. And which is nuts. Well, they did a very good job of casting a full <laughs> Caucasian did. cast for Bright Star. And I love Bright Star so very much. But, but yes. It's it's a I let, let we can talk about Bright Star and sort of diversity on Broadway. I know that's a big touch point for us. Yeah. Um, so I guess just to talk about the, the Hamilton casting controversy, uh, I'm not sure how much of a controversy it really was other than people from outside of the theater community, news sources outside of the theater community uh, weren't familiar with the the norms of how people get hired in including our me i didn't know that either but i i also think that sometimes a lot of good comes out of these controversies because i think that when if they put out what they thought was a normal casting call and then it, people were upset about the language i think that opened up an opportunity for discussion about the language to right. say that of course like we are doing something unusual in having a, a cast that is you know 90 percent not white you know, it was it certainly opened up a dialogue about what about about casting on Broadway and 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 um, the diversity in casting or or lack thereof. And just a, sorry, go ahead. No, it, it, it just goes. It's just part of where do you find that fine line of um, wanting to welcome people of all ethnicities to audition for something, but also having a unique vision for your show right like if we do all shows have to say all ethnicities are willing are open to audition whether they're um a very multicultural cast like hamilton or the great comet or they're an all african-american cast like shuffle along or they're an all caucasian cast as like bright star like do where's where's the line it's very gray i agree but i think is it i think that it's important to zoom out a little bit and look at the bigger picture and say that we are at a very interesting place in the in in the life of theater like i think that the fact that we have you're saying something specific when you are writing Hamilton and you have African-American actors or actresses in mind for roles that were lived by white people. And I think that that is new. And mm -hmm. I think that that is really valuable. And I think that it needs to be protected and preserved, mm -hmm. you know. And I, I think what's also interesting is that, you know, Lynn is open to casting women like African-American or, you know, multi non-white women and as Aaron Burr or King George or, you know, as Hamilton even, but not white people. And I think that, like, I think that if anybody has, if anybody's upset about that, I don't know what to tell you. You know, you're missing the point. It, art has the responsibility. I mean, let's, let's bring in another um, piece of Hamilton news, which was uh, the Mike Pence right. controversy at the end of the year where uh, cast member Brandon Victor Dixon stood on stage on behalf of the cast and addressed um, Mr. Mr. Mike Pence. Mr. Mike Pence. In a uh, statement written by Lynn, Tommy, and Jeffrey. Seller. Vice President-elect Pence, we welcome you and we truly thank you for joining us here at Hamilton and American Musical. We really do. 
We, sir, we are the diverse America who are alarmed and anxious that your new administration will not protect us. Our planet, our children, our parents, or defend us and uphold our inalienable rights, sir. But we truly hope that this show has inspired you to uphold our American values and to work on behalf of all of us. All of us. It was written, so the story is they knew earlier in the day that Mike Pence was coming to the show, and they were going, I believe it was BCEFA time of year anyway, right? Like, they were going um, to do a curtain speech. Yeah, the, the greater news around the Mike Pence drama in Hamilton failed to mention that there were these systems in play at that moment that allowed for the full company to stand on stage and address the audience. Yeah. Like, and what were they? Um, well, at the end of shows, at the end of Broadway shows and um, many off-Broadway national touring regional productions during uh, what we call Broadway Cares uh, appeals season, collection season, everyone understands that after the bows, the cast will stand on stage and certain microphones will be on. Yeah. You know, like they're so Brandon was already going to give a the, Broadway, the, the Broadway Cares appeal speech. So the... And the cast was already going to stand there and um, sort of stand behind him uh, in support of that speech. Yeah. So it's not like the cast hadn't, for weeks and weeks prior to this, been doing almost exactly this. Yeah. And if you saw any of the videos of um, Brandon's speech after the show, it rolls right into the Broadway Care speech with the very familiar la language twice a year. The Broadway community comes together for a very important organization called Broadway Care's Equity Fights AIDS. Hold yeah. for applause. Um, so if we weren't, if we hadn't been in Broadway Care's appeals time, you know, like there, there wouldn't have been this. Everybody always stands on stage for two minutes at the end. Right. The soundboard knows that Brandon's mic has to be on. The ushers know, like the lights are going to stay on. Right. All yeah, of those yeah, things. Yeah. Like the the orchestra was going to hold. There was a lot that was not reported that made it sort of not as controversial of a statement, but sort of just part of the general Broadway Cares appeal. And in his defense, Pence liked it. You know what I mean? He was totally open to it. And I think that, you know, you know, listen, rules are going to be broken. Things are going to be said when we are we are in, you know, I think what many of us deem to be pretty scary times and drastic measures are going to be taken. Mm. I'm not calling for a militia in the street. I'm just saying that sometimes curtain speeches are going to be made and things need to be said. And when else was the most successful Broadway show ever mounted and the most popular piece of pop culture ever going to have the audience, the, the, the opportunity to speak truth to power in such a way? They took a chance, and uh, I think they did what needed to be done. Right. Um, we have a responsibility as artists to um, confront uh, stereotypes, norms. I mean, Hamilton does it eight times a week. Right. But uh, especially with the current political climate, I think it's our duty to stand up to uh, stand for what we believe in. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, sure, the 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 speech to Mr. Pence was uh, controversy, but it also really felt like the theater community needed to say something. Totally, and had the opportunity and to. And had the opportunity to. Um, okay, let's move on from Hamilton. Let's talk about TV musicals. Ha! <laughs> 
This was a year. A very light, very much a lighter <laughs> subject. Exactly. <laughs> definitely a year in TV musicals. So the big ones this year were Hairspray Live, um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which wasn't live. That was pre-taped, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and Grease Live. I watched none of them. I watched two of them. Which uh, ones did you watch? I watched the two live ones. And Grease Live and Hairspray Live. I, I think it's very interesting that here we are four years into the resurgence of TV musicals. Um, and we're starting to get a sense of what they look like. Uh, from a Broadway perspective, it was a disappointing year because um, with production of all three of these musicals in L.A., mm -hmm. um, we went from seeing a lot of Broadway community members in them to seeing hardly any. Yeah. So Good point, Morgan. Um, I mean, sure, like Fox, NBC, you can produce musical wherever you want. Right. You are the boss of you. Uh, but from a member of the Broadway community, rather than seeing dozens and dozens of our friends in the show and sort of feeling like it's an extension of what's happening in Times Square, it felt like something apart this yeah, year. Yeah, agreed. I will say that, you know, so I drop this name all the time, so this isn't anything new. So everyone just get ready for the eye roll. But I'm ready. I've known Tommy Kale a really long time. Ugh. And I remember when Tommy, Tommy directed Grease Live in Hamilton and, and in the Heights. And I remember when they, when Tommy was directing like shows in the basement theater, the drama bookshop, and he was like a visionary. And he's the first person to tell you that he didn't study directing. He didn't go to school for theater. He just like learned as he went and was a sponge. It's so exciting to see him where he is now and to see that people talk about this production of Grease Live as being a total game changer for live musicals. Do you agree with that? It really was. Grease Live, um, in a lot of ways, I think was the best example of what a live TV musical can be. I really think that the first uh, one, The Sound of Music, not the first live TV musical ever, <laughs> but sort of as in this resurgence, was really trying to be a Broadway show on film. Yeah. And what Grease Live did remarkably well was figure out how to do a live TV musical for the medium, for yeah. television, right? The incorporation of the audience, the sort of unique camera angles, uh, giving us a behind-the-scenes look, um, there, there, there was a whole opening sequence that was Jesse J singing uh, "Grease is the word," which is a song for the movie, not the show. Um, and it was a, it was a uh, one take camera that sort of tracked all the way through the production. So you were seeing the full cast in their dressing rooms. You were seeing the audience. You were seeing the production. You saw the special music guest stars. So it kind of just set you up for the world that you were going to be in for the next two and a half hours. And that was a game changer. That's so cool, Tommy Kale. Yeah. So rather than being being like, here's a look at a Broadway show in your very own home. Uh -huh. It was like, hey, audience, come with us. We're going to go on this crazy journey while we try to do a musical live on television. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? Oh, and it was also raining in L.A. that day. Right. So you were seeing umbrellas. You were seeing, like, it felt it felt live in a way yeah. that the, 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 the prior live TV musicals had not had that sort of 
danger to them. I just want to give a shout out to David Corns, the um, the set designer, because A, I'm obsessed with him, and B, he did this like whole thing where he found actual props from the original movie and like put them into the set. Oh, that's so neat. Yeah, like the punch bowl in the in the dance scene was the punch bowl from the original movie. I don't know if it was the same scene in the movie, but there was like a whole bunch of different things like that. And of course, William Ivy Long with like the magic tricks and all the things that ha- that happened live that people were like, oh, well, there must have been a cut there, but there wasn't because William Ivy Long is such a genius. Right. Um, um, keep going. I, and um, while Hairspray, I think, took some elements of that, I didn't feel like Hairspray was as successful as Grease Live was. Um, it, it felt a little more sort of stilted and controlled and less dangerous, uh-huh. I think. Um, and took less advantage of those quick changes, of those quick set changes, of those how-do-they-do-it kind of moments, um, which just doesn't result in as thrilling of a television experience. Unfortunately, when we're watching a live TV musical on our on our TVs, we're also on our phones the whole time and we're looking at Twitter yeah, and we're totally. like doing we're doing other things and in 2016, it's the responsibility of entertainment to keep us engaged. Yep. Um in a way that it's not that responsibility in a Broadway house. So, um I love that there were three TV musicals, major TV musicals. Um, I think it's interesting we haven't heard uh, plans for kind of more. We've heard the plans for Bye Bye Birdie, and we've heard that there's the D- Dirty Dancing remake, which, again, is not live. Oh, it's another one that's not live. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that we're continuing down that path, but I think we're very much in the gestation of what does it mean to be a live TV musical and how do we produce one well. You're a genius. Um, I, I say we as if I have. Because you're doing a, it. I have any. You're involved. I have any. I will give a you're, shout out to my husband who ca- who was the casting director for Grease Live. Yeah. But, yes. He um, was nominated for an Emmy Award. He was nominated for an Emmy Award. That was exciting. That is so um, exciting. And I mean, another thing that I think people really got excited about uh, in Grease Live was the um, diversity of that cast. And yeah, you know, just like in Hamilton, um, it was very intentional. And took a lot of work to find people who could do the roles. But also, like, Aaron Tveit's face right, is a lot to get excited about. I love that I'm trying to be serious. Oh, no, you, me too. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And you're just talking about Aaron Like, Tveit. Aaron Tveit's face. Okay. Um, <laughs> hi. Okay, so. <laughs> okay, so something that really horrendous that happened, of course, was that was the Pulse nightclub shooting. Right. Which happened to ha- happen on the day of the Tony Awards or the, you know, the early morning hours preceding into, I believe it was June 12th. Um I mean, so that was insane, first of all. So, you know, there was a lot of talk that day about what was going to happen. Was the show going to go on? Um, I think we all knew that the show was probably going to go on. There's no there's no world in which the show wouldn't have gone on. Yeah. I mean, CBS is not going to let go of that, uh, of that time, of all right. those advertisers. I mean, people have been working for months and months on the production. And Broadway needs it. You yeah. Know? So to, to say that the – to say that the Tonys were – there was a possibility that the Tonys weren't going to happen – I think is I call shenanigans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I know that from the moment that people were hearing about it, they were trying to find a way to respectfully right have the production of the Tonys still happen while being respectful and acknowledging this the greatest mass shoot shooting in, in American, American history. Soil. Yeah. I mean, 
I will say that the Tony Awards were so special for a lot of reasons this year. I mean, number one, you know, like Landon, his love is love is love is love is love speech was just amazing. Wasn't that wonderful? We chase the melodies that seem to find us until they're finished songs and start to play. When senseless acts of tragedy remind us that nothing here is promised. Not one day. The show is proof that history remembers. We live through times when hate and fear seem stronger. We rise and fall and light from dying embers. Remembrances that hope and love last longer. And love is 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 love. Cannot be killed or swept aside. I sing Vanessa's symphony. Eliza tells her story. Now fill the world with music, love, and pride. Thank you so much for this. And it was so fascinating how that resonated beyond. Yeah. It became a t-shirt. Yeah. Well, um, Facebook does a year in review video uh-huh. every year. And, um, you know, so it's like everything that happens in the world of social media, like all over the world. And it's a three minute video. It's beautifully done. Um, and uh, it, it, his, his speech was included in that. It was one of the most... Um, important moments in social media beyond the yeah. Theater. I mean, he Lynn. I think people don't know this, um, but you know, in the Heights was originally like a gay story. It was like a coming out story. Right. Like, What's the name? Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln was Lincoln the character. Lincoln was yeah. the gay character. And it was, you know, it was, it was. Um, that's what the story was. It was about a kid named Lincoln who had a sister named Nina and a best friend named Benny, and he was in love with his best friend. And so the point is just that Lynn has is very close to the gay community and cares very deeply about the gay community. Um, and I think that he takes every opportunity he can to make that clear. Uh, Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, boo. <laughs> um, the other thing. Oh, remember the beginning of the Tony Awards where they had all the actors that were nominated doubled? They had like the the that grown up so selves beautiful. and then like the little kid selves. The actors apparently didn't know that was going to happen until they got there, like day of. Aww. It was like a surprise. Yeah. Well, I also think it was a surprise. Maybe <laughs> they were still writing the number. That's like, maybe true. Maybe they didn't yeah. know if they were going to be able to find kids. You know, like, you don't. You don't yeah. know. Um, but I think that as modern contemporary Tony watchers the pinnacle of Tony Award opening numbers is that Neil Patrick Harris of bigger is better right where he zoomed in and um where they zoomed in on Neil's face and Lynn wrote the rap and we were that kid and yeah you felt yeah like yeah the, that Tony's where um they acknowledged the excitement of youth and that really what the Tony Awards are the, the broadcasts of the Tony Awards are about reaching young people around our country and saying, you are not alone. If you guys could see the fire in his eyes right now. I have a lot of feelings. Um, <laughs> right? Like, that is the goal of the Tony Awards. Yeah. In my opinion, the mission of the Tony Awards is to say, you, kid in Montana, you think you're weird, but you, someday you're going to be an adult and you're going to find your tribe. Totally. Um. And so when the opening number of the Tony Awards involves the young people and yeah. says, come, oh, yeah. we want you weirdos. Just sob fest. Yeah, it's, totally. That's where I think the Tony Awards does it, the its job the best. Yeah. Um, oh, and then the other really exciting thing was that all of, the, all of the actors from the major categories for musicals were African-American. Right. And that coming out of Oscar So White, hashtag Oscar So White yeah. to go to hashtag Tony So Diverse. Which is not, right. And which is actually a fallacy. The Tonys are not so diverse and Broadway is not so diverse. Broadway is better than the Oscars or television. But it's um, not, 
it's not. We we're not there yet. We have a lot of work to do. Do you want to talk about diversity? Or are we still talking? About um, we can talk. We we yeah. Let's talk about it for a second. My friend Lewis Peitzman wrote this really great article for. Buzz this Speed. was the best article yeah. I read about Broadway all year. And long. Lewis was on the I think the most recent episode of BroadwayCon the podcast talking about this. It it, it was so wonderfully um, researched yeah. and written. I think I don't think it's a surprise to say that people have a love-hate relationship with theater press, right? At For the sure. Same, like, uh, uh, we know that these are websites that are businesses that uh, rely on clicks and views, and so there's some sort of clickbaitiness of what they put out. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think it's the job of, the responsibility of our, our typical theater news sites, Playbill, Broadway World, Theater Mania, Broadway.com, to... Um, represent the fullness of our community and so to see sort of this swoop in from the side of lewis peitzman on buzzfeed of all websites of course with what i felt was the most interesting theater article of the year was so exciting i agree in fairness buzzfeed probably has a budget that those others don't have lewis got to spend a lot of time working on that and nothing else that's fantastic yeah and lewis you know buzzfeed is great they lewis has written a bunch of of articles for buzzfeed about theater but this one was particularly poignant in mostly in in talking about the asian american experience on broadway right um and how they are underrepresented Mm -hmm. and how we are definitely making strides there i had this great interview with jose lana where he was talking about you know, he has a great relationship with the Broadway productions of The King and I, of course. Right. Um, but talking about how, you know, him, how, they, how like, the last production was all Asian-American actors and how there was no way they would send out a national tour now without all Asian-American actors because it would be more of a headache for the press department to deal with than it would be worth to just find the actors. Right. And how shocking that was to me that that was like, I forget that we live in a time where the King and the King and I was often played by a white person. Right. You know, and that is shocking to me, you know? And so, and so yes, the, 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 the Tonys are much more diverse than you see in other entertainment outlets, but um, we're not there yet. No, we're not. We did have Hamilton this season. Um, But then you also look at, <laughs> I mean, let's, let's look oh back God, at 2016. Like, yeah. Right. Like, Bright Star had no people of color, whether it was intentional or not, in a story that it really didn't matter what Completely. ethnicity yeah. you are. Yeah, like uh, you could have done Bright Star with an entirely African American cast or an entirely Asian American cast, and it yeah. would have had zero to do with this with the the relevancy of that story. Yeah, um, Tuck Everlasting. Also in like a fantasy world, like had one person of color in the ensemble. I don't know why that's the case. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And And I I think it's our opportunity. I think it's our responsibility as theater creators, at least in this point in Broadway's history to be intentional with casting people of, um, different ethnicities and abilities you know i mean i had this like fascinating conversation with michael arden who directed the deaf west production of spring awakening just listen to this fascinating podcast on (laughs) the um on the creation of spring awakening revival right talking about ali stroker well but not just ali stroker all of the deaf actors you know and like or were there deaf actors (laughs) there was a handful a handful um and just like what it brings what it brought to the to i mean the fact that Ali Stroker is the first actress in a wheelchair ever to be on Broadway is mind-boggling to me. I actually had to look it up. I was like, that can't be real. But just 
not and it's not just about making a point. It's about like you know talking to Spencer Lift, the choreographer, about being really scared to choreograph for her, but then realizing what she could bring that people who aren't in chairs can't bring. Right. Um, and how you can find them, like what you can find in the material that you didn't know was there when you think outside the box of actors who look just like you do. Right. Um, and it's we're j- it's just not. <laughs> We're not doing as well as we could. We're not. We're not doing as well as we could or should, you know. Um, Re- Lewis had this statement, and I don't know where it comes from, um, but his, like, Twitter profile description was just the phrase, representation matters. Yeah. And that's something that really stuck with me in 2016, is that as theater creators and as um, whatever you and I are doing, Patrick... <laughs> Um, (laughs) just like hangers on in the worst possible way (laughs) like it's our responsibility to show a showcase a variety of people of a variety of um ethnicities abilities body types yeah um why'd you look right at me when you said that because you are (laughs) i'm a what a beautiful (laughs) man um um and and I think when there are more people that are not white or white gay men, you know, like yeah. we, we as homosexual white men, Patrick, are not underrepresented in the Broadway community. <laughs> um, nope. The one place in the world where we are not underrepresented. Right. So uh, to see like the cast of The Great Comet, to see the cast of Holiday Inn, to see the cast of Cats, where it's more than just a sea of white people with one black man and one black woman is exciting. Yeah. And I would just say we have to keep going. Yeah. We have to keep championing that and saying, thank you. We want more of that. All right. We got to power through these last two, these last two points. Oh my God. Um, Shuffle along or the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed. And all the shenanigans that followed. All the shenanigans, right? What is happening over there? Um, Oh, well, the music box, Dear Evan Hansen, is happening over there. Um, so, full disclosure, I didn't see Shuffle Along. Me either. So, I don't think we can really say anything It's not about, about the show. I have no, I have, like, my my interest in the story is not, not at all about the, the quality or the content of the actual musical. Right. It's just about the fact that Audrey McDonald got pregnant, left the show. Well, first of all, she's announced to do the show and then she's announced that she's taking a break because she's going to do Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill in London. And then it's announced that she's pregnant and her break is going to be slightly different, right? So then they announce her replacement. They say Rhiannon Giddens is rehearsing for this role and we're all like, who is that? <laughs> do we know who is she? Uh, she she's a recording artist. Um, I mean, to me, if you're gonna cast someone... <laughs> If you're going to stunt cast somebody outside of the theater community, right. it's got to be somebody that's going to sell tickets. Right. Right. Totally. There's there are plenty of African-American women who the theater community would love to see in that role or cast a real star. Right. Yeah, totally. And not some not to say anything about this woman's talent. I, I don't know her. I've never heard her totally. music. But uh, it did sort of feel like, well, that's not going to keep the show right. going. Right. Right. So they announced that she's replacing and that Savion Glover is coming in in a new role that is being created. Oh, right. It wasn't going great, guys. And then they announced that it's closing. No, in other news, the show was like had all of this buzz ahead of it, and then all of a sudden was struggling through um, previews, and then like didn't get great reviews. So that that's the other piece, right? It wasn't some. It, 
it, it seemed to be very divisive in uh-huh. terms of people who loved it and people who were not as impressed by it. Mm-hmm. Said the two gentlemen who, who did didn't not see, see it. Um, <laughs> let's let's plow through some other of the like. Okay, well, I want to talk about Nerds the Musical because I, I was obsessed. It's fascinating it to is me fascinating. and it's not like it's the first time that a broadway show has gone into rehearsal and then announced it's closing right um, or like not happening right yeah right um i mean the one that i can think of is godspell sort of came and went before the godspell revival oh i didn't know that yeah um but i think what, what do you think about like rebecca was like the big oh famous my one. gosh yeah. yes um so like and you go like why well but like they were getting paid like in cash like they weren't getting like paychecks and it was a great cast it was like Lindsay and patty murin and ray lee was in it and rory o'malley these are these are people who have been in you know two dozen broadway shows between the four of them and i think they just kind of knew and then in the middle of rehearsal the producer or whoever comes in and was like uh we can't afford to pay for the rest of this day you guys have to stop right now Right. Right now. It's fascinating. I mean, we hear about shows taking so long to get to Broadway. Yeah. Like, t- Just shows to be clear, so long they were create. blaming it on a major investor pulled out. If you're wondering why, they're saying that a major investor pulled out. Other reports are saying that they were given a house before they had the full funding. And so they tried to like... They tried to they tried to go too quickly because mm-hmm. they had a space, which for people who don't know who don't know now, it's very hard to book a space on Broadway. So they got a space, and they and some people say they were trying to go, they were moving forward to before they had all the funding in right. place. Um, but yeah, and then and then like the big thing was when they all decided that they were going to come back together the next day and do like run through whatever they had of the musical for friends and family. I I think I mean that's just fascinating. That's yeah. like. A th- and the only person I know who was there was Jen Tepper. And of course she writes a beautiful Facebook message about it or a Facebook post about it. It's fascinating to me that that can be the only time that show is seen. I know. Well, but it, that was one of those shows that was around for a really long time, wasn't right. it? It's And it's had some off-Broadway productions. Yeah. Um, you know, the uh, it really comes down to the business of Broadway. You know, of course. Th- th- theater happens all over this country, but what's happening in these... 20 square blocks in midtown Manhattan is very unique. Um, most of the theater that happens around the country is nonprofit, and here it is for profit. Right, 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 right exactly. Except for, you know, roundabout, MTC, right. uh, second stage. Uh, what was happening is for profit. And so it does come down to the bottom line. And yes, we're artists and we're trying to create beautiful art, but so much of the news that we've talked about so far in this podcast is about the business of the totally, art. Totally, yeah. Um, and it, I think it's fascinating that you there's this artistic piece that I mean we don't know if it's good. I don't know if Nerds is good. Right. I haven't heard a song. Yeah, exactly. I mean we know people who are in it. I but desperately tried to get to that that showing of it the next oh my day. Gosh. I was dying to go to that. Okay, so like quick quick hits. Okay, let's do it. I mean I think Cynthia Revo came and she just like yeah. smashed her way into the Broadway theater community's heart. Totally. And smashed is like the wrong analogy, but like <laughs> she was not on anybody's radar yeah. on Broadway. And then all of a sudden she's like the it girl, right? Same for Carmen Cusack, I'll say. Yeah, definitely. And I think that like Carmen Cusack making her Broadway debut, like not in her 30s, I'm guessing, uh, is significant. And she's a big, big, big star now. Yeah. You know? Well, I want to see what she does next. Uh, well, The Sunny in the Park with George was apparently incredible. Oh, 
she's in that? She was in it at City Center. I don't know if oh, she's they haven't announced the cast, yeah. right? Um, other than uh, Annalie and Jake. Jake, my friend Jake. My friend Jake. My husband's other husband. He like literally refers to his retirement with Jake. Who <laughs> else had epic years? Casey Nicola being the first director on Broadway to have four shows open simultaneously. Wow. With Book of Mormon, Aladdin, Something Rotten, and Tuck Everlasting. So they were all on at the same time. They didn't they were open at the same season. No, they yeah. didn't open the same season, but... Yeah. Good season, Casey. Yeah, I, I know, mean, my God. that's great. Um, who else really shined this year? I think Michael Park um, is a... Michael Park is humana humana. Yeah, yeah. but he was in Tuck Everlasting and then Ugh. was is in Dear Evan Hansen. So yep. having these two great roles in these two great shows. I mean, I'll say like a R- Renee Elise Goldsberry, like sure. the f- only person to audition for Hamilton. You know, like she's... was a. I mean, Renee Elise Goldsberry was a revelation this year, I think. Right. Yeah. And... Uh, also, the year where the community seemed to really embrace Josh Henry. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, um, to go from Shuffle Along and getting really good buzz on that to that last five years concert. Yeah, that's to, right. Um, the only thing that I saw him in was the ha- uh, Chicago production of Hamilton, and he was real good in that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Josh Henry's fantastic, but it's, <laughs> I mean, to like sort of see him kind of come into his own mm-hmm. as a major theater player was exciting. I would say Rachel Bay Jones. I think I think she's got uh, a space on a shelf that might need to get dusted off. Yeah, I really hope so. Yeah. Um, I, I'm. Can I pull like a little ensembleist thing? Yes. Great. Uh, Catherine Rickefort was in three original Broadway companies this year. Wow. Like, and this is a woman who. Um, after honeymoon in Vegas, like almost left the business. She also has a has had a career as an engineer. Um, she's currently in uh, Holiday Inn, but she was also in Disaster and she was also in Allegiance. Wow! Like <laughs> she's just like can't stop working. <laughs> um, so I I mean, to be in three original Broadway companies in 2016 is yeah. an impressive feat. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so and I. I I mean, I would say like Lackamore has had a great year between Hamilton and the Dear Evan Hansen off Broadway. Right, Broadway. that's also exciting. Yeah, and same with David Corns. I, I think he's had a great year. He was Grease Live, Hamilton, Dear Evan Hansen. Um, I think it's real right now. Looking at 2016, we're looking at this excitement around Dear Evan Hansen no, that will be nothing like the excitement about Hamilton, but is very exciting right now. Yeah, and at the same time. This is a huge season for new musicals. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we just go just go up Broadway and you go War Paint. You've got Anastasia. You've got Bandstand. You've got Groundhog Day. You've right. got Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh my goodness, that's you've right. You've got uh, I got to keep going up the streets, up the streets, <laughs> up the streets. Uh, God, I can't even think. Are we thinking things that haven't opened yet? Or, or yeah, all the stuff that's happening in 2017. Yeah, it's already been a great season for musicals, I think. And there's so much about this season that's coming in the spring of 2017 that we don't know yet. Right. Totally. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. Um, and and then to top it all off, I would say. Broadway Con was without a doubt one of the biggest theater stories to come out of 2016. So crazy. I remember legitimately being like, oh, I'm not going to go to that. That sounds so nerdy and it sounds so weird. And then Nika invited me to be on a panel and I was like, well, I'll go. And then I got there on Sunday and I wished I had been there all weekend. Like it was so magical. It was the most amazing. It was so incredible. And this year, it's so exciting. The the things that, that are lined up for, for Broadway Con this mm-hmm. year, just like – 
like the the Hamilton panel, like the new administration, and it's all the people from Chicago and New York, and the Dear Evan Hansen panel. I'm doing this. Um, I'm doing this insane LGBT panel. That's gonna oh, really? be yeah. So we've booked J. Armstrong Johnson, Beth Malone, Nathan Lee Graham. Uh, Robin De Jesus. So that that panel is going to be amazing. There's a couple other people that are potentially on that panel that we can't name yet. Well, why don't you ask me what I'm doing at Broadway? Con? What are you doing at Broadway? Con, Morgan? Oh, it's so funny that you should ask. <laughs> um, well, uh, as part of the Ensemblist, we have two panels that we're hosting. One is the history of the Ensemblist Live. We did a season this fall about um, the how the use of ensembles has changed on Broadway over the last century by looking at all of the Pulitzer Prize winning musicals and so we're doing a live version of that um, with some bigger names than have been on the podcast like who um, I can't announce them yet they're not announced no we're working on it you haven't booked them yet uh, yes that's correct <laughs> uh, who we have confirmed right now is Michael Barres who is also on oh, the season oh yeah, yeah great so he's um, who directed title of the show and he was in the Chorus Line revival and has also uh, directed uh, production of Next to Normal so mm-hmm. he's He's familiar with multiple Pulitzer winners. So we're doing the History of the Ensembles live at 11, and then at 1 p.m. we're doing a panel called Redefining Success on Broadway, which is um, an opportunity to hear from uh, five people who are uh, really talented working ensemble members about how they view success on in their own careers, even though their names are not above the title. So whether that be wow. being uh, consistently working in the ensemble or having a second career that sort of feeds what they do um, on Broadway, it's an opportunity to sort of get a different angle at how to be a successful working artist. Right. And then we have that. And then we have the, um, the autograph table. The autograph table. And then the ensemblist is doing like a story core style um, uh, booth in the marketplace at Broadway Con that'll be open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So we're going to be reaching out to fans to share their own experiences, um, their fa- their favorite theater stories, and we're going to be using those in future episodes of the podcast. So yeah, these people should come look for us in the marketplace. As and well. you guys download the Broadway Con app, and you can you'll get all this information. I now. downloaded it, and it's fantastic. It's so good, and they're going to have up to the minute changes when things change or if they change or whatever. Right. So. Um, all right, Boo, I'll see you at BroadwayCon. Patrick, I really hope I don't have to see you until then. I know, same Z's. Same Z's. Bye. Bye. Got my house, it still keeps the cold out. Got my chair when my body can't hold out. Got my hands doing good like they supposed to. Sure. BroadwayCon the podcast is a partnership between BroadwayCon Media and Theater Podcast Productions. Episodes are produced, mixed, and edited by me, Patrick Hines. Just a reminder that BroadwayCon is two days away and there are still day and full weekend passes available. You can find information and tickets at BroadwayCon.com. We're taking a short break following BroadwayCon, but we'll be back in February. Until then, we ask you to remember this. If you get really pissed and will cut someone's slack When they call the cast album a freaking soundtrack You're a